You don't know what's funny. You don't. Sorry. Don't point that at me. Okay. Eh. Okay. I'm scared. I'm little... ah. Oh, sorry. But that was good. That was like a nun fart in church. Right? All right, so welcome to Something to Drink About. I'm Alex Van Amberg, a certified sommelier with the Quartermaster Sommeliers, and I'm also a CSW, which is a certified specialist of wine with the Society of Wine Educators. And I'm Christy Collins, mom of three boys, yoga teacher, and a former LA actress. You are. I am. I'm a former LA actor. I we're quitters together. We're quitters, quitters. Well then, we quit LA. Eighty six LA. <laughs> bye bye. <Oops. laughs> oh, there go my notes. Good. Well, I just had to remember this, who I am. This needs to be a little more freeform. Anyway, we're too structured. <laughs> so, welcome back to the podcast. So, the idea is to make wine fun and not frightening. So, um, And to- not boring. Not boring. Right? And as you may have guessed, today we're doing a sparkling wine. Very sparkling. Very sparkling. Very, very fluffy. Very bubbly. Did you hear those bubbles? So let's start off with uh, okay. let's start off with the basics. Let's describe the wine we have in our glasses and move on from there. So uh, if you do the honors, okay. Well, I have little trails of bubbles floating up from the bottom of my my glass to the mm-hmm. top, and they're beautiful. And it's like a really light golden color. Mm-hmm. It's sparkly. The bubbles have sparkle on them. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's so pretty. I want to wear it as a dress. It's lovely. I mean, that's the the perlage. The the, really? the bubbles r- r- cascading up from the bottom of the glass. Yes. I love the word perlage. Perlage It, it means good. little little pearls or little beads. Is uh, that a real wine terminology? Yeah, the French thing? judge champagne by by the amount by the type of perlage oh. that it has, which is a great word. So um, we're actually drinking our um, sparkling wine, our champagne, out of white wine glasses, which I recommend. You can put them in flutes. Flutes are very much associated with champagne, but. Then you can't do this part, which we're about to do, which is actually smell the champagne. And Why cham- can't you smell the champagne in a flute? The flute, because if you fill up a flute so far, it's got a very narrow structure and it has a very narrow little window at the top where there's actually any air to breathe and it has no okay. surface area on right. the wine. So flutes are great at maintaining bubbles, at hmm. showing a brilliant cascade of bubbles. And they're actually, are they better or worse than the coupe glasses from the 1920s, the big fat bowl? Oh, I love those. They're beautiful. Right? Yeah, and I love the idea oh, that they were modeled so... after Marie, Marie Antoinette's breast and, and all the whole no, thing. No, I did not know no, that. No, Are you kidding no, me? No, totally. It's, it's oh, sorry. It was too close. Are you kidding me? No, it's an, <laughs> it's an awesome little random fact. Whether it's true or not has nothing to do with it. <laughs> they but do. They look like a boob. They look like a little tiny boob. And, yeah. Um, tiny boob. Modestly. Modestly sized Modest. boob. Modest boob. Yeah. So, but they're a great glass, but unfortunately they do nothing to hold on to the bubbles in a wine. Right. Which is the entire oh, point of champagne okay. is that it has bubbles. Mm-hmm. So, white wine glass, highly recommend it. That way you actually get the full wine drinking experience. So, uh, having... Okay, well, one more thing about how it looks. Mm -hmm. You know when you see a New Year's picture, because it was just New Year's recently, and I may have done some marketing for my yoga classes, and I may have used a background that had those, you know, those blown out lights, like the porch lights. Like the Christmas lights. Yeah, and then they're all blown out, and that's what this looks like in liquid form. It's true. Well, especially with the, the the cool moisture gathering on the outside of the glass, yes, it, it does. So it does, pretty, yeah, right, because it kind of makes it a little fuzzy and blown mm-hmm. out. It's so beautiful. So let's talk about what you smell. Okay, I'm gonna smell it. I've never smelled champagne before. It must be good for you. It doesn't smell a lot. Good. I don't. No, I get really like strong, like a 
Okay, I it does smell. It smells like a Granny Smith apple that I just cut mm-hmm. into. Good. That's what it, it it smells exactly like a Granny Smith apple. It does. It smells crisp and fresh like an apple. Yes, but crisp like like a green fresh. tart apple. Very good. Not a good specificity. Well done. Well, thank you. Of course, I'm learning. It's podcast number five. This is podcast number five. Podcast number five. 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 I don't know that that says commitment to me. Well, okay. Low bar. Good job. <laughs> so what do you taste? Let's move on to what you taste. All right. Let's see. Oh, my God. Well, it feels really good. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. It feels sparkly and yummy and light and crisp. And it's more of a feeling than a taste. Mm-hmm. Is that weird? So what you're getting at the moment is you're getting a feeling, a sensation of the bubbles cascading across your tongue. You're also getting that, that crisp dryness that comes with a, a, a cold liquid. I um, am and I'm going to sneeze. Bless you. Yeah. And, <laughs> all right, then. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll wait. Yeah. Um, I might sneeze again. Yeah. All six minutes of it. Okay, I'm done. Whew. I'm really flushed. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do you think that the champagne made me sneeze? I don't know what made you sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like I'm in second grade. <laughs> like with my best friend, Brenda Halstead. You know when you're at the back of the room and you talk? No. And you're not supposed to <laughs> And you're not supposed to talk, and so then you giggle, and then you can't stop. Oh, we have oh. the meanest, deep breath. meanest teacher. Deep breath. Deep cleansing breath. Remember those clocks? School clocks, and they go click, click. I would just stare at that clock. So bored in school. Okay. So, what do you taste? <laughs> apples. I told you. Tart apples. Um, not like soda pop fizzy because that feels like big bubbles. These feel like light tingly bubbles that are Mm -hmm. just so pretty. Like everything about it is like a pretty package. Well, the French also use another word called mousse to describe the the texture of the bubbles. Say something. (laughs) (laughs) You got me up. Sorry. It, It looks like a, it tastes like a pretty necklace. Okay. Do you eat a lot of pretty necklaces? No. (laughs) But you know, you look at something so pretty and you want to taste it. I just had this, this image of, you know, that you want to taste everything and then it, it went into the dark place. Okay. Not the dark, the sexy place. That's all. I'm trying to be clean. I'm trying to have a clean podcast. (laughs) Clean mind. Bleach my mind. <laughs> wow. Okay. So back to the wine, shall we? Okay. Yes. Please. Let's go. So what we're dealing with is um, is I don't even know what we're dealing with anymore. <laughs> the taste. The taste. We got the taste. Apple. The, the, the taste. Green Bubbles. apple and the, the texture. Sparkly. Yes. Tingly. So what do you taste? Tell me what you taste. I once drank a champagne that I was trying to describe how it felt because the bubbles felt coarse, almost like square. I was trying to say the bubbles felt square and I got laughed out of the room for that, but which was fine because that's how it felt. That was the experience I had was the right. bubbles were coarse. Um, they were either, they were so large or whatever, but they felt square. 
This does not have that experience. These feel much more fine, much more velvety, much more smooth. Um, and then after that experience of feeling, that textural mm-hmm. feeling, then it moves into taste. And what I get is that that crisp green apple, so, that yes. uh, that pectin dryness. Delicious, like a Jolly Rancher without all the sugar. Mm-hmm. An, an apple Jolly Rancher without the sugar. And it really just opens up the ducks on my cheeks. The oh, acidity so, is just yes. like flooding my mouth, um, which but is it's great. It's a great so feeling. So good. It's yeah. like an adult Jolly Rancher. I just want to be specific here. Well, and that's you know, part, there's a, there's a whole majesty to drinking wine like this because of that that textural experience, because of that crispness, because of that acidity. I think it's everything. It's the color. It's the bubbles. It's the um, the brightness of it. It just brings sunshine into a glass like i would want to drink this midwinter after christmas when mm-hmm. everything's like oh well that's one of the pities about champagne is people tend to think that they're only for uh, appetizers for beginners they don't but because of the acidity of the wine it actually goes great throughout an entire meal mm-hmm. you could actually have this with almost anything you were eating or uh, it, just on its own or on its own but <laughs> i mean but you compare this with so many things the like shrimp scampi uh, you know an alfredo uh, you know um uh, uh, cream sauces red meat oh yeah um the acidity cuts through everything it's, this is yes. champagne is like the riesling of um of of that doesn't matter anyway okay cut that out cut that out yeah rabbit hole <laughs> so anyway <laughs> So, uh, it's like the Riesling of France. Well, and sparkling wines are such a romantic experience, it's hardly surprising that they want to do them everywhere in the world. So Champagne started it. It started in the Champagne region of France. And to be a true Champagne, it has to come from there, and it has to be made a certain way. But Germany does their own. They do one that's called Sect. Um, the, the Spanish do their own. It's called Cava. The the Italians do better. their own. They do Prosecco. Uh, you know, or, now, Prosecco is beautiful. Prosecco That's can be. That's a beautiful name. It's lovely. Yeah. And so, and they also make it in South Africa. I like that. Um, really? Yeah. They make it, they make sparkling wine in South Africa. They make sparkling wine in California. They make it in New Mexico. A company called Gruet makes it there. They make it in Washington. Traveri wines here, and they're delicious. They're made with Washington grapes in the, the champagne method, the traditional method. Lovely wines. But you can't call it champagne if it's from Washington. State. Correct. The, no, okay. the, the champagne wall were very clear about that, and they, they cheerfully went about setting a huge trend of lawsuits to anybody who tried to take their name. Uh, there's a few places that are grandfathered in, but now if you want to get a sparkling white wine out of California, if it says champagne on the label, it had better say California champagne on the label. There are all okay. sorts of rules. But the, I mean, and the reason is, is that because in the late 1800s, early 1900s, the Champagne Wa put a massive effort into marketing their wine and making it this unique thing in the world. And they put a lot of time and energy into that, so they had every reason to protect it. So Champagne is just Champagne. Yeah. Exactly. And you can't get it anywhere else. No. And it has to be made in the Champagne region of France. It has to be from five specific And when were they branding grapes. this? Because I don't think that there was branding pre-internet. <laughs> I know there was. <laughs> well, no, some of the greatest artists of the day were actually designing posters to be spread around the world that had champagne on it. They're clowns with holding bottles. Bottles are blowing corks. You know, little devils are riding corks and they're flying off. And then you, you think of... I want to see these pictures. They're beautiful. And then you think of the images in the 1920s. You know, anytime you think of speakeasies and you think of, of you know, prohibition, you see these towers of coupe glasses with cascades of shame bubbling down. Anytime there's a party, a big bubbles are popping and yeah, champagne spraying. And mm-hmm. it became known as this wine of celebration. And it actually goes back further than that to the the, the French kings. Because the French kings were crowned right. in Reims. 
which is in Champagne. Okay. And so they chose the local wine to celebrate their oh, coronation that's with. Beautiful. I and didn't so that's know where that. Champagne. So that's why it became a celebratory celebratory wine. Well, but even before that, they were using <laughs> local wines that were pink wines that were slightly fizzy, um, because they didn't actually master the Champagne process and the ability to produce it in mass until the mid eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds. Okay. So when did they start marketing this? What? Well, Champagne's been marketing themselves ever since day one, which, you know, back when the Romans established Champagne region and started planting the first grapes back in 700 AD. Oh, I didn't know the Romans planted the first grapes. Oh, yeah. No, the Romans were, the Romans planted most of France. Really? They conquered most of Europe and they took their grapes with them wherever they went. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. No, they, they took grapes with them everywhere. And then um, the, the church took over when the Romans faded because the grapevines were part of the, the, the Catholic sacrament. So you needed grapes oh. for that. But let's be honest, it's actually far more of a secular thing than a holy thing because you also make a lot of money off of right. selling wine to people. So so I have this image of some a monk who's balding or has that little cap on and he's got the brown robes and he's in this pretty building this monastery um and he is making champagne uh yes another fine marketing coup by the champagne okay Uh, what you're thinking of (laughs) (laughs) what you're thinking of is dom perignon who is known for the quote uh something along the lines of come quick i'm drinking the stars oh it's a great quote Oh, that's exactly what it's like come quick that's so pretty come quick i'm drinking the stars which is so romantic (laughs) and it is complete and utter hooey no. He never said that. No. No, because the thing Who was... Who said that then? But whoever said it, even if it was a marketer, it's beautiful. It's a great line. But like all great marketing, it's not necessarily rooted in the truth. So Dom Perignon was... He was a monk. Uh, and he was very good about managing wine and champagne in the Champagne region. But bubbles were a flaw they were trying to chase out of the wine, not keep. Now, right. The, re- the reason that there were bubbles in the wine is because... Champagne is the northernmost growing region in France, so things get cool there fast in the fall. So in the fall, you harvest your grapes, you start making your wine. It gets too cold for the the fermentation to finish, but it stops. The fermentation stops or the cold stops? The fermentation stops. Oh, okay. Because of the cold. And so you think your wine is done. You think all that that making alcohol is done, so you bottle it. Yeah. And then you bottle your wine, and then in the springtime comes around, and suddenly your wine starts getting slightly warmer, and the fermentation kicks up again. Uh Uh-oh. But this time, it's in a bottle. Uh-oh. And when you mix sugar and yeast, it makes not only alcohol, but it also makes CO2. So now these bottles that they have, they're in their cellars. The pressure is building until suddenly one bottle gives way. Bam! And then all of a sudden it starts this cascade effect where all the other bottles are giving way. So bam, 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 bam. They're losing. Well, I don't understand. Why are the bottles exploding? Because these this bottle didn't explode. Because in France at the time, uh, they used wood-fired uh, glass-making techniques, which makes a beautiful but weak really glass. Really pretty. But fortunately... Britain had burned almost all of their trees. Oh, no. So they were burning coal. Coal burns much hotter. They didn't trees? They did, but they kept them in copses and forests and stuff like that. Their land okay. management was very sculpted. Okay. And then, and I'm sorry, I cu- totally cut you off. So they started making glass with coal. Yeah, because they're using coal-fired uh, glass making process. So what's the difference? Makes a much stronger glass. That then the French realized that the wines could survive the secondary carbonation in this coal-fired glass bottle. Okay. So they borrowed the process, stole the process, and started making stronger bottles. And then they realized they could actually create this fermentation in the bottle on purpose. Now, where Dom Perignon was useful is he created some of the first truly clear, truly white wines using red grapes in Champagne. Before that, they were all cloudy and pink. 
Oh, but that would have been pretty. It would have been. It still is. They still make yeah. sparkling champagne roses. Because I love rosé. They do. They're lovely. I love, I love the name rosé. I love the color rosé. I love everything about it. Bubbles, rosé. So any other questions about champagne? Any other questions about this particular wine? Um, I thought that champagne was actually an accident. I thought it wasn't meant to be the way it is. Well, that's part of the myth. That they discovered it by accident. Okay. Because, and, and in a way, I guess it was. Because when you take the wine, when it, you take it, okay, so you know the winemaking process. You take your grapes, you squash them, you get the juice, you collect the juice, and what the, the juice has sugar. And then you add yeast to the sugar, and that starts creating alcohol. That's right. what you want. And you don't even need to add yeast, because there's native yeast already on the grape. The grape is a perfect package for making wine. Oh, that's cool. It automatically does it. That's actually how they think it was first made 5,000 years ago or whatever, when man first started 10,000 years ago. They have no idea when it actually started. Right. But someone was collecting grapes, and they, they, you know, you eat all the grapes you can, you collect the rest, you put them in a basket or a bucket or a bowl, and then the weight of the grapes on top crushes the grapes on the bottom, and they start leaking juice. Well, the yeast on the skins of the grape, the wild yeast that exist everywhere around us, start eating the sugar and fermenting it. And so the juice naturally starts turning into this automatically fermenting into alcohol and fermenting and creating this rough wine. So if you're hungry and you see this and you're uh, you know, right. primitive, then you try it. And there's a mind-altering effect that comes with it. So then you later try to recreate the process. Got it. All we've been doing since then is refining the process. So wine is by its own, you, you can make it all by accident. Right. So the entire thing is, or, or divine intervention. It's a, it's a plan by God. Someone once said, wine is proof that God wants us to be happy. Uh, <laughs> because it requires so little from man to make it happen. Um, which is actually very exciting. And so, is champagne an accident? In a way, yes. Because what they did is they, they made their wine. But because they're in a northern climate, and it's very cool, and they have this very high acid grape. So they, they crushed the grapes. They started making the wine. Um, the fermentation stopped. You know, it got cold enough that the yeast gave up and went to sleep. Oh, like you were saying before. So yeah. it got cold. The yeast gave up and went to sleep. Well, a lot of times what happens when fermentation stops, what that means is that the yeast killed itself. Okay, so you kind of already said this. Yeah. That it, then it woke up in the spring when it got warmer and it wasn't, but they didn't, so they didn't plan that. No. But then they started packaging it and planning it. Yes, and then it became intentional because there was a market for it. Okay. So you take your wine. Your, so your, you already said all that. That's just me being. Well, no, but it, uh, you were tuning out. Was Because I? I was saying it too fast or I wasn't saying it in an interesting way. Oh, I never tune out when you talk about you wine, were texting. honey. I had to make sure our son was home. So what you do is, is so what happens is, is that, yeah, because when, when fermentation stops most of the time, what it means is that it means that the yeast has killed, the, al- the alcohol has killed the yeast. Because yeast actually is in a very self-destructive relationship with itself. It gets into this liquid with all the sugar and it starts Like producing, my childhood. Could be. It starts producing <laughs> alcohol to the point where it can't live anymore. It okay. creates an environment that kills it, and which usually stops around 14% alcohol by volume. So it's a great place for it to stop. Depending on how sweet your wine was to start off with, it usually balances out pretty well the acidity of the grapes, etc. But when it gets cold, it shuts it down early. So these wines were stopping at about 7 or 8% alcohol by volume. And then they'd go to sleep and people were like, oh, I guess we're done. Put it in casks. Put it in bottles. Let's go. And then in the springtime, it would wake up again and they're like, oh, shoot. Um, because then their wine would, they'd open the cask and the cask would start fizzing all over. They'd open the bottles, the bottles would break. So it was an accident and they didn't know how to control it, but they were losing inventory. They were losing stock. 
However, the British liked it. They liked this fizzy flavor. They liked flavor. the fizzy. Yeah, they liked this. Right, they, I like the fizzy too. This acidic fizzy wine that was mildly sweet. They thought it was delicious. And so the French were like, okay, well, let's find a way to make it work. And so they did. They found a way to make it work. And more. it was very labor intensive. It was a lot of work. And the Madame Veuve Clicquot, uh, when her husband passed away in the Champagne house, was supposed to turn over to her sons, refused to turn it over to her sons and kept it for herself. She was going to run the business, mm-hmm. um, the Madame Clicquot. And so she actually... Um, found a way to take this very labor-intensive process and commercialize it. So you see the orange bottle of Veuve Clicquot out there, and it seems like a marketing thing. But honestly, this is a tribute to a woman who made an industry possible because she was inventive and determined. She was very strong-willed. She wasn't going to let her fortune slip through her fingers and become a secondary character in her own history. She actually was going to make this happen. So That's beautiful. That's this, well said. She had this idea that if they wanted to do it, they they needed to get the, make the wine less cloudy. How do you do that? Well, you have to you have to get the cloud out by mm-hmm. by letting it rest and then by twisting the bottle until the yeast moves up to the neck and then you pop it out and then you you recork the wine. And so she gave up her dining room table, her massive family dining room table and turned it into one of the first riddling racks because they cut it in half. They set it up like an A-frame they drilled holes in it to give the bottles places to rest where they could slowly, they, they would start off horizontal and then they would twist them a little bit and keep the yeast moving. And as they twisted them a little bit, they'd move them up and up and up oh, until that's they were so vertical. Cool. Okay. Upside down. And so all the yeast into the junk would move up into the neck of the bottle. And then when you would freeze the neck of the bottle with like an icy slushy water, we would freeze that little bit and then you pop the top and that little plug would shoot out. You'd lose a little bit of wine. Mm-hmm. So you'd top it off again with a little more wine. Uh, from the same batch, or maybe a little sweetener, depending on how sweet you want your wine. And we used to love our champagnes very sweet. Oh, we did? Uh, and now we like them very dry, very low sugar. Yeah, I would say I I prefer low sugar. Well, tastes change. I mean, right. as sugar becomes more available. Well, at 21, we, we already talked about my favorite wine. What was it called? White, White Zinfandel. Zinfandel. At 21, that was awesome. Well, and, But and... now, it... well, okay, I'd probably drink it anyway. I would. Yeah. Stuff's delicious. It's like candy. <laughs> it really is. It's like drinking liquid cotton candy. Who wouldn't? <laughs> but when sugar wasn't as readily available, when sugar only came from sugar cane back in the 1700s, 1800s, sugar was valuable, and therefore a sweet wine was valuable. Right. It was a sign of affluence. It was a sign of, of deliciousness. And it was rare, so therefore all the more treasured. But as commercialized sugars are now available because of sugar beets, we're liking things to be drier and more savory and more austere because it gives us a contrast to what we experience all the time in our regular life. It's really interesting. That is interesting. Um, so champagne now, so uh, Madame Veuve Clicquot created this commercialization process where you could actually create a lot of champagne with less labor. And they've since built upon that. Uh, but she created a champagne empire. She was, she was uh, a monumental figure in the history of the champagne region. I love her. She's lovely. I don't know if she was lovely or not. She may have been a complete harridan. I don't know. But her story is great. Yeah, her story is great. Needs so. to be out there more. We'll have to revisit the Champagne region a couple more times because there's so many stories. There's stories about the caves that are carved out of limestone underneath. There's stories about uh, the, the, the trench warfare during World War One. There's stories that cut right through there. There's stories about World War Two and the wine fuhrer from Germany who was responsible for, for managing that and the, and the fortunes people hid in these yeah, caves. Yeah, we have to go back to that. Um, you know, it's just a, it, this amazing history there. It's true. All right. So no, actually, if it wasn't for the French, we wouldn't even be here because they were our main allies during the war of the Revolutionary War. If it wasn't for their money and their guns, no America. That would be weird. Uh huh. We need, you could write a whole screenplay about there's that. So much information. So, I'm anyway, sure there's another podcast. Yeah. Anyway, another time, another place. In the meantime, this has been 
Something to drink about with Alex Van Amberg and Christy Collins. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.